The librarian tried to whirl the string, wrapped it round his face and hit himself on the back of the head. Oh, the poor little thing. Take it off him, Mr. Stibbons, do. The librarian bared some small fangs as Ponder unwound the string. I hope he's going to grow up soon, he said. Otherwise the library will be filled up with cardboard books about bunnies. It really was a very stubby tower. The base was stonework, but about halfway the builders had got fed up and resorted to rusted tin sheets nailed onto a wooden framework. One rickety ladder led up. Very impressive, sighed Rincewind. The view's even better from the top. Go on up. The ladder shook under Rincewind's weight until he pulled himself up onto the planks, where he lay down and panted. Must be the beer and the excitement, he told himself. One short ladder shouldn't do this to me. "'Bracing air up here, isn't it?' said the Arch-Chancellor, walking to the edge and waving a hand towards the city. "'Oh, certainly,' said Rincewind, tottering towards the corrugated battlements. "'Why, I expect you can see all the way to the gr The Arch-Chancellor grabbed him and pulled him back. "'That's... it's...' Rincewind gasped. "'Want to go back down again?' Rincewind glared at the wizard and inched his way carefully back to the stairs. He looked down ready at an instant's notice to draw his head back, and carefully counted the steps. Then he walked back gingerly to the parapet and risked looking over the edge. There was the fiery speck of the burning brewery. There was Buggerup and its harbour. Rincewind raised his gaze. There was the red desert glittering under the moonlight. How high is this? he croaked. On the outside, about half a mile, we think, said the Arch-Chancellor. And on the inside... You climbed it. Two stories. You're trying to tell me that you've got a tower that's taller at the top than it is at the bottom? Good, isn't it? said the Arch-Chancellor happily. That's very clever, said Rincewind. We're a clever country. Rincewind? The voice came from below. Rincewind looked very carefully down the steps. It was one of the wizards. Yes, he said. Not you, snapped the wizard. I want the Arch-Chancellor. I'm Rincewind, said Rincewind. The Arch-Chancellor tapped him on the shoulder. That's a coincidence, he said. So am I. Ponder very carefully handed the bull-roarer back to the little librarian. There, you can have it, he said. I'm giving it to you, and in return perhaps you can take your teeth out of my leg. From the other side of the rock came the voice of reason. There's no need to fight, gentlemen. Let's vote on it. Now, all those who think a duck has webbed feet, raise your hands. The librarian swung the thing a few more times. Doesn't seem to be a very good one, said Ponder. Not much of a noise. Honestly, how much longer are they going to be? Whom? Yeek! Yes, yes, very good. Whom? 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 Ponder looked up as yellow light spread across the plain. There was a circle of blue sky opening above. The rain was stopping. Eek! It occurred to Ponder to wonder what a little old man was doing painting pictures in a bare landscape on a whole new continent. And then there was darkness. The old man smiled with something like satisfaction and turned away from the drawing he'd just completed. It had a lot of pointy hats in it, and it had faded right into the rock. And he was as happy as anything, and had drawn all the spiders and several possums before he found out what was missing. He never even knew about the very strange and unhappy duck-billed creature that slid silently into the river a little way off.
Got to be at least some kind of cousins, said the Arch-Chancellor. It's not a common name. Have another beer. I had a look through the unseen records once, said Rincewind, morosely. They never had a Rincewind before. He upended the can of beer and finished the dregs. Never had a relative before come to that. Never, ever. He pulled the top off another can. No one to do all those little things relatives are supposed to do, like... Like, like send you some horrible cardigan at Hogswatch. Stuff like that. You got a first name? Mine's Bill. It's a good name. Bill Rincewind? Don't know if I've even got a first name. What do people usually call you, mate? Well, they usually say stop him, said Rincewind, and took a deep draught of beer. Of course, that's just a nickname. When they want to be formal, they shout, Don't let him get away. He squinted at the can. It's much better than the other stuff, he said. What's this say? Funnel web? It's a funny name for a beer. You read in the list of ingredients, said Bill. Really? mumbled Rincewind. Where was I? Pointy hats, water running out, talking kangaroos, pictures coming alive. That's right, said the dean. If that's what you're like sober, we want to see what effect a beer has. You see, when the sun's up, said Arch-Chancellor Bill... I've got to go down to the prison and see the Prime Minister and explain why we don't know what's happened to the water. Anything you can do to assist would be very useful. Give him another tinny, Dean. People are already banging on the gates. Once the beer runs out, we're in strife. Rincewind felt that he was in a warm amber haze. He was among wizards. You could tell by the way they bickered all the time, and somehow the beer made it easier to think. A wizard leaned over his shoulder and put an open book in front of him. This is a copy of a cave painting from Kangooley, he said. We've often wondered what the blobs are above the figures. That's rain, said Rincewind after a glance. You mentioned this before, said Bill. Little drops of water flying through the air, right? Dropping, Rincewind corrected him. And it doesn't hurt? Nope. Water's heavy. Can't say the idea of big white bags of the stuff floating around over our heads appeals. Rincewind had never studied meteorology, although he had been an end-user all his life. He waved his hands vaguely. They're like uh, steam, he said, and hiccups. That's right, it's lovely, fluffy steam. They're boiling? No, 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 no. Very cold clouds. Sometimes they come down very low. They even touch the ground. The wizards looked at one another. "'You know, we're making some bloody good beer these days,' said Bill. "'Clouds sound bloody dangerous to me,' said the Dean. "'We don't want them knocking over trees and buildings, do we?' "'Oh, but, but, but they're, they're soft, see, like smoke. "'But you said they weren't hot.' "'Rincewind suddenly saw the perfect explanation. "'Have you ever huffed on a cold mirror?' he said, beaming. "'Not on a regular basis, but I know what you mean.' Well, basically, that's clouds. Can I have another beer? It's amazing. It doesn't seem to have any effect on me, no matter how much I drink. It helps me think clearer. Arch-Chancellor Rincewind drummed his fingers on the table. You and this rain stuff, you've got to be connected, yes? We've run out of water, and you turn up. Rincewind burped. <laughs> Got to put something right, too, he said. Pointy hats all floating in the air. When did you last see them? In the brewery with no beer in it. 
said it's haunted. <laughs> Pointy hat haunting. <laughs> Bill stared at him. Right, he said. He looked at the forlorn figure of his distant cousin, now very close up. Let's get down there. He glanced at Rincewind again and seemed to think for a moment. And we'll take some beer, he added. Ponder Stibbons tried to think, but his thoughts seemed to be going very slowly. Everywhere was dark and he couldn't move, but somehow it wasn't too bad. It felt like those treasured moments in bed when you're just awake enough to know that you're still nicely asleep. It's amazing how time passes. There was a huge bucket chain now, stretching all the way from the harbour to the brewery. Despite the tangily, refreshing oak spiciness of their Chardonnays, the Exians weren't the kind of people to let a brewery burn. It didn't matter that there was no beer in it. There was a principle at stake. The wizards marched through the crowd to a chorus of mutters and the occasional jeer from someone safely tucked away at the back. Smoke and steam came out of the main doorway, which had been burst open by a battering ram. Arch-Chancellor Rincewind stepped inside, dragging his happily smiling relative with him. The smouldering rue beer sign, reduced to a metal skeleton, still lay in the middle of the floor. He kept waving at it and going on about pointy hats, Neelet volunteered. Test it for magic, Dean, said Arch-Chancellor Rincewind. The Dean waved a hand. Sparks flew up. Nothing there, he said. I said we... For a moment some pointed shapes hung in the air and then vanished. "'That's not magic,' said one of the wizards. "'That's ghosts. "'Everyone knows this place is haunted. "'Evil spirits, they say.' "'Should have stuck to beer,' said Arch-Chancellor Rincewind. "'Neelette pointed to the trapdoor. "'But it doesn't go anywhere,' she said. "'There's a hatch to the outside and some storerooms, and that's about it.' "'The wizards looked down. "'Below was utter darkness. "'Something small skittered away on what sounded very much like more than four legs.' There was the smell of very old, very stale beer. No worries, said Rincewind, waving a tin expansively. I'll go down first, shall I? This was fun. There was a rusted ladder bolted to the wall below him. It creaked under his weight and gave way when he was a few feet from the cellar floor, dropping him onto the stones. The wizards heard him laugh. Then he called up, Do any of you know someone called Dibbler? What old fair go? said Bill. "'That's right. He'll be outside selling stuff to the crowd, right?' "'Very likely. Can someone go and get me one of his floating meat pies with extra tomato sauce? I could really do with one.' The dean looked at Arch-Chancellor Rincewind. "'How much beer did he drink? Three or four tinnies? He must be allergic, poor bastard.' "'I reckon I could even eat two. Rincewind called up. Two? No worries. Hmm.' Anyone got a torch? It's dark down here. Do you want the gourmet pies or the ordinary? said the dean. Oh, the ordinary will do me. No swank, eh? Poor bastard, said Bill, and sorted through his small change. It was indeed dark in the cellars, but enough dim light filtered through the trapdoor for Rincewind to make out huge pipes in the gloom. It was obvious that some time after the brewery had been closed... But before people had got around to securely locking every entrance, the cellars had been employed by young people, as such places are when you live with your parents, the house is too small, and no one has got around to inventing the motor car. In short, they'd written on the walls. Rincewind could make out careful inscriptions, telling posterity that, for example, B. Smoff is a poser. While he didn't know what a poser was, he was quite sure that B. Smoff didn't want to be called one. It was amazing how slang seemed to radiate its meaning, even in another language. There was a thump behind him as the luggage landed on the stone floor. 
Me old mate Trunky, said Rincewind. No worries. Another ladder was eased down, and the wizards with some care joined him. Arch-Chancellor Rincewind was holding a staff with a glowing end. Found anything? he said. Well, yes. I wouldn't shake hands with anyone called B. Smoth, said Rincewind. Ah, oh, the dean's not a bad bloke when you get to know him. What's up? Rincewind pointed to the far end of the room. There, on a door, someone had drawn some pointy hats in red. They glistened in the light. My word, blood, said Rincewind. His cousin ran a finger over it. It's ochre, he said. Clay. The door led to another cellar. There were a few empty barrels, some broken crates, and nothing else except musty darkness. Dust whirled up on the floor from the draft of their movement in a series of tiny inverted whirlwinds. Pointy hats again. Mmm, solid walls all round, said Bill. Better pick a direction, mate. Rincewind had a drink, shut his eyes, and pointed a finger at random. That way! The luggage plunged forward and struck the brickwork, which fell away to reveal a dark space beyond. Rincewind stuck his head through. All the builders had done was wall up and square off a part of a cave. From the feel of the air, it was quite a large one. Neilette and the wizards climbed through behind him. I'm sure this place wasn't here when the brewery was built, said Neilette. It's big, said the dean. How did it get made? Water, said Rincewind. You what? Water makes great big holes in rock. Yes, don't ask me why. What was that? What? Did you hear something? You said, what was that? Rincewind sighed. The cold air was sobering him up. You really are wizards, aren't you? He said. Real honest-to-goodness wizards. You've got hats that are more brim than point. The whole universe is made of tin. You've got a tiny tower which is, I must admit, good grief, a lot taller on the outside. But you're wizards all right, and will you now please shut up? In the silence there was, very faintly, a plink. Rincewind stared into the depths of the cave. The light from the staffs only made them worse. It cast shadows. Darkness was just darkness, but anything could be hiding in shadows. These caves must have been explored, he said. It was a hope rather than a statement. History here was rather a rubbery thing. Never heard of them, said the dean. Points again, look, said Bill as they advanced. Just stalactites and stalagmites, said Rincewind. I don't know how it works, but water drips on stuff and leaves piles of stuff. Takes thousands of years. Perfectly ordinary. Is this the same kind of water that floats through the sky and gouges out big caves in rocks, said the dean? Uh, yes, obviously, said Rincewind. It's good luck for us that we only have the drinking and washing sort, then. Had, said Rincewind. There were hurrying feet behind them, and a junior wizard ran up holding a plate covered with a lid. Got the last one, he said. It's a gourmet pie, too. He lifted the lid. Rincewind stared and swallowed. Oh, oh dear. What's up? Have you got some more of that beer? I think I might be losing concentration. His cousin stepped forward, ripping the top off a can of funnel web. Cartwright, you cover that pie up and keep it warm. Rincewind, you drink this. They watched him drain the tin. Right, mate, said the Arch-Chancellor. How about a nice meat pie upside down in a big bowl of mushy green peas covered with tomato sauce? He looked at the colour change on Rincewind's face and nodded. You need another tin, he said firmly. 
They watched him drink this. "'Okay,' said the Arch-Chancellor after a while. "'Now, Rincewind, how about a nice one of Fargo's pie floaters, eh? "'Meat pie in a pea soup and tomato sauce.' Rincewind's face twitched a bit as Amber Blessings shut down vital protective systems. "'Sounds good,' he said. "'Maybe with some coconut on the top?' The wizards relaxed. So now we know, said Arch-Chancellor Rincewind. We've got to keep you just drunk enough so the Dibbler's pies sound tasty, but not so drunk that it causes lasting brain damage. That's a very narrow window we got there, said the Dean. Bill looked up at the roof where the shadows danced among the stalactites, unless they were stalactites. This is right under the city, he said. How come we've never heard of it? Good question, said the Dean. The man who built the cellar must have seen it. Rincewind tried to think. It wasn't here then, he said. You said these stalag things took thousands of... They probably weren't here last month, but now they've been here for thousands of years, said Rincewind. He hiccuped. <coughs> it's like your tower, he said. Taller on the outside. Eh? Probably only works here, said Rincewind. The more geography you've got, the less history. Ever notice that? More space, less time. I bet it only took a second or two for this place to be here for thousands of years, see? Shorter on the outside. Makes perfect pence. I don't think I've drunk enough beer to understand that, said the dean. Something nudged him in the back of the legs. He looked down at the luggage. It was one of his habits to come up so close behind people that when they looked down they felt seriously overfeated. All this, he added. The wizards grew quieter as Rincewind led them onward. He wasn't sure who was leading him, still. Now nah worries. Contrary to the usual procedures, it began to grow lighter. Although the proliferation of luminous fungi or iridescent crystals in deep caves where the torchlessly improvident hero needs to see is one of the most obvious intrusions of narrative causality into the physical universe. In this case, the rocks were glowing, not from some mysterious inner light, but simply as though the sun were shining on them just after dawn. There are other imperatives that operate on the human brain. One says, the bigger the space, the softer the voice, and refers to the natural tendency to speak very, very quietly when stepping into somewhere huge. So when Arch-Chancellor Rincewind stepped out into the big cave, he said, Struth, it's bloody big, in a low whisper. The dean, however, shouted, Cooey, because there's always one. Stalactites crowded the cave here too, and in the very centre a gigantic stalactite had almost touched its mirror image stalagmite. The air was chokingly hot. This isn't right, said Rincewind. Plink! They spotted the source of the noise eventually. A tiny trickle was making its way down the side of the stalactite and forming droplets that fell a few feet to the stalagmite. Another drop formed while they watched and hung there. One of the wizards clambered up the dry slope and peered at it. It's not moving, he said. The trickle's drying up. I think it's evaporating. The Arch-Chancellor turned to Rincewind. Well, we followed you this far, mate, he said. What now? I think I could do with another beer. There's none left, mate. Rincewind looked desperately round the cave, and then at the huge translucent mass of limestone in front of him. It was definitely pointy. It was also in the centre of the cave. It had a certain inevitability about it. 
Odd, really, that something like this would form down here, shining away like a pearl in an oyster. The ground trembled again. Up there, people would already be getting thirsty, cursing the windmills as only an Exian could curse. The water was gone, and that was very bad, and when the beer ran out, people would really get angry. The wizards were all waiting for him to do something. All right, start with the rock. What did he know about rocks and caves in these parts? There was a curious freedom at a time like this. He was going to be in real trouble, whatever he did, so he might as well give this a try. I need some paint, he said. What for? For what I need, said Rincewind. There's young Salad, said the dean. He's a bit of an arty blagger. Let's go and kick his door down. And bring some more beer, Rincewind called after them. Neelet patted Rincewind on the shoulder. Are you going to do some magic, she said. I don't know if it counts as magic here, said Rincewind. If it doesn't work, stand well back. Is it going to be dangerous then? No. I might have to start running without looking where I'm going, but this rock's warm, have you noticed? She touched it. I see what you mean. I was just thinking, supposing someone was in a country who shouldn't be there, what would it do? Ah, oh, the watch would catch him, I expect. No, no, not the people. What would the land do? I think I need another drink. It made more sense, then. OK, here we are. We couldn't find much, but there's some whitewash and some red paint and a tin of stuff which might be black paint or it could be tar oil. The wizards hurried up. Not much in the way of brushes, though. Rincewind picked up a brush that looked as though it had once been used to whitewash a very rough wall and then to clean the teeth of some large creature, possibly a crocodile. He'd never been any good at art, and this is a distinction quite hard to achieve in many education systems. Basic artistic skills and a familiarity with occult calligraphy are part of a wizard's early training, yet in Rincewind's fingers chalk broke and pencils shattered. It was probably due to a deep distrust of getting things down on paper when they were doing all right where they were. Neolette handed him a tin of funnel web. Rincewind drank deeply and then dipped the brush in what might have been black paint and essayed a few upturned V's on the rock and some circles under the lines with three dots in a V and a friendly little curve in each one. He took another deep draught of the beer and saw what he was doing wrong. It was no good trying to be strictly true to life here. What he had to go for was an impression. He sloshed wildly at the stone, humming madly under his breath. Anyone guess what it is yet? he said over his shoulder. Looks a bit modern to me, said the dean. But Rincewind was into the swing of it now. Any fool could just copy what he saw, except possibly Rincewind. But surely the whole point was to try and paint a picture that moved, that definitely expressed the... 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 well, definitely expressed it anyway. You went the way the paint and the colour wanted you to go. You know, said Neelet, the way the light falls on it and everything, it could be a group of wizards. Rincewind half closed his eyes. Perhaps it was the way that the shadows moved, but he had to admit he'd done a really good job. He slapped some more paint on. Looks like they're almost coming out of the stone, said someone behind him, but the voice sounded muffled. He felt as though he was falling into a hole. He'd had the sensation before, although usually it was when he was falling into a hole. The walls were fuzzy, as though they were streaking past him at a tremendous rate. The ground shook. Oh, are we moving? he said. Feels like it, doesn't it? said Arch-Chancellor Rincewind, but we're standing still. 
"'Moving while standing still,' muttered Rincewind and giggled. "'That's a good one.' He squinted happily at the beer can. "'You know,' he said, "'I can't stomach more than a pint or two of the ale we have at home, "'but this stuff is like drinking lemonade. "'Has anyone got that meat pie?' As loudly as a thunderstorm under the bed, but as softly as two souffles colliding, past and present ran into one another. They contained a lot of people. "'What's this, Dean? Yes, you're not the Dean. How dare you say that? Who are you? Ook! Stone the cows, there's a monkey in here. No, 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 I didn't say that. He said that. Arch-Chancellor? Yes, yes. What? How many of you are there?' The darkness became a deep purple, shading to violet. "'Will you all stop shouting and listen to me?' To Rincewind's amazement, they did. "'Look, the walls are getting closer. "'This place is trying not to exist.' And having done his duty to the community, he turned and ran over the shaking rock floor. After a couple of seconds, the luggage passed him, which was always a bad sign. He heard the voices behind him. Wizards had a hard job accepting the term clear and present danger. They liked the kind you could argue about.' but there is something about a rapidly descending ceiling that intrudes into the awareness of even the most quarrelsome. I'll save you, Mrs Whitlow. Up the tunnel. How fast are those walls closing in, would you say? Shut up and run! Now Rincewind was passed by a large, red, furry kangaroo. The librarian's erratic morphism, having briefly turned him into a red stalactite, as an obviously successful shape for surviving in caves, had finally taken on board the fact that it would make for a terminally lengthy survival in a cave that was rapidly getting smaller, and had flipped into a local morphic field built for speed. Man, luggage and kangaroo piled through the hole into the cellar and ended in a heap against the opposite side. There was a rumbling behind them, and wizards and women were fired out into the cellar with some speed, several of them landing on rincewind. Behind the wall, the rock groaned and creaked, expelling these alien things in what Rincewind thought was a geological chunder. Something flew out of the hole and hit him on the ear, but this was only a minor problem compared to the meat pie, which came out trailing mushy peas and tomato sauce and hit him in the mouth. It wasn't actually all that bad. The ability to ask questions like, where am I and who is the I that is asking is one of the things that distinguishes mankind from, say, cuttlefish. Although, of course, it's not the most obvious thing, and there are, in fact, some beguiling similarities, particularly the tendency to try to hide behind a big cloud of ink in difficult situations. The wizards from Unseen University, being perhaps the intellectual cream, or certainly the cerebral yoghurt of their generation, passed through this stage within minutes. Wizards are very adept at certain ideas. One minute you're arguing over the shape of a duck's head, and the next there are people telling you you've been inside a rock for thousands of years because time goes slower on the inside. This presents no great problem for a man who has found his way to the lavatory at Unseen University, the one on the first floor with the curious gravitational anomaly. But there were more important questions as they sat around the table in B.U. "'Is there anything to eat?' said Ridcully. "'It's the middle of the night, sir.' "'You mean we missed dinner?' Thousands of years of dinners, Arch-Chancellor.' "'Really?' "'Better start catching up, then, Mr Stibbons.' "'Still, hmm, nice little place you've got here, uh, Arch-Chancellor.' Ridcully pronounced the word very carefully in order to accentuate the lowercase a. Arch-Chancellor Rincewind gave him a fraternal nod. 
Thank you. For a colony, of course. <laughs> I dare say you do your best. Why, thank you, Mustrum. I'd be happy to show you our tower later on. Oh, it, it does look rather small. So people say. Rincewind. Rincewind? Hmm. Name rings a faint bell, said Red Cully. We came looking for Rincewind, Arch-Chancellor, said Ponder patiently. Is he? Done well for himself, then. Fresh air made a man of him, I see. No, sir. Ours is the skinny one with the bad beard and the floppy hat, sir. You remember the one sitting over there? Rincewind raised a hand diffidently. Er, uh, me, he said. Ridcully sniffed. Fair enough. What's that thing you're playing with, man? Rincewind held up the bull roarer. It came with you out of the cave, he said. What were you doing with it? Oh, some toy the librarian found, said Ponder. All sorted out, then, said Red Cully. I say, this beer's good, isn't it? Very drinkable. Hmm. Yes, I'm sure there's a lot we can learn from one another, Arch-Chancellor. You from us rather more than us from you, of course. Perhaps we could set up a, a student exchange, that sort of thing. Good idea. You can have six of mine in exchange for a decent lawnmower. Ours is broken. The Arch-Chancellor Arch is trying to say that getting back might be rather hard, sir, said Ponder. Apparently things ought to have changed now we're here, but they haven't. Your rinse-wind seemed to think that bringing you blokes over here would make it rain, said Bill, but it hasn't. Hroom, hroom, hroom. Oh, do stop playing with that thing, Rincewind, said Ridcully. Well, Bill, it's obvious, isn't it? As more experienced wizards than you, <laughs> we naturally know plenty of ways of making it rain. No problem there. <laughs> Look, lad, take that thing outside, will you? The librarian was sitting at the top of the tin tower with a leaf over his head. Something odd, see, said Rincewind, dangling the bull roarer from its string. I've only got to wiggle my hand a bit and it swings right round. Ooh, the librarian sneezed. Ooh. There, now you're some sort of large bird, said Rincewind. You are in a bad way, aren't you? Still, once I tell them your name... The librarian changed shape and moved fast. There was a very short period of time in which a lot happened. Ah, said Rincewind calmly when it seemed to be over. Well, let us start with what we know. I can't see. The reason I can't see is that my robe is hanging over my eyes. From this I can deduce that I am upside down. You are gripping my ankles. Correction, one ankle. So obviously you are holding me upside down. We are at the top of the tower. This means... He fell silent. All right, let's start again, he said. Let's start by me not telling anyone your name. The librarian let go. Rincewind dropped a few inches onto the planks of the tower. You know, that was a really mean trick you just did, he said. Oh, we'll say no more about it, shall we? Rincewind looked up at the big empty sky. It ought to be raining. He'd done everything he was supposed to do, hadn't he? and all that had happened was that the faculty of UU was down there being condescending about everything. It wasn't even as if they could do a rain-making spell. 
For one of those to work, you needed some rain around to start with. In fact, it was prudent to make sure that some heavy-looking clouds were being blown in your direction. And if it wasn't raining, then probably those terrible currents they talked about were still around too. It wasn't a bad country. They were big on hats. They were big on big hats. He could save up and buy a farm on the Never Never and watch sheep. After all, they fed themselves and they made more sheep. All you had to do was pick the wool off occasionally. The luggage had probably settled down to being a sheepdog. Except that there wasn't any more water. No more sheep, no more farms. Mad and Crocodile Crocodile, the lovely ladies Darlene and Letitia, Remorse and his horses, all those people had shown him how to find the things you could eat without throwing up too often, all drying up and blowing away. Him too. Good day. Ook. Oh no, Rincewind moaned. Throat a bit parched. Look, you're not supposed to... It's all right. I have an appointment down in the city. There's been a fight over the last bottle of beer. However, let me assure you of my personal attention at all times. Well, thank you. When it's time to stop living, I will certainly make death my number one choice. Death faded. The cheek of him. Turning up like that. We're not dead yet, shouted Rincewind to the burning sky. "'There's lots we could do. "'If we could get to the hub, "'we could cut loose a big iceberg and tow it here, "'and that'd give us plenty of water. "'If we could get to the hub, "'where there's hope there's life, I'll have you know. "'I'll find a way. "'Somewhere there's a way of making rain.' "'Death had gone. "'Rincewind swung the bull-roarer menacingly. "'And don't come back!' Ooh. "'The librarian gripped Rincewind's arm and sniffed the air. "'Then Rincewind caught the smell, too.' Rincewind spoke a fairly primitive language, and it had no word for that smell you get after rain, other than that smell you get after rain. Anyone trying to describe the smell would have to flounder among words like moisture, heat, vapour, and with a following wind, exhalation. Nevertheless, there was the smell you get after rain. In this burning land, it was like a brief jewel in the air. Rincewind whirled the piece of wood again. It made noise out of all proportion to the movement, and there was that smell again. He turned it over. It was still just a wooden oval. There weren't any markings on it. He gripped the end of the string and whirled the thing experimentally a few more times. Did you notice that when it did this, he began, it wouldn't stop. He couldn't lower his arm. Uh, I think it wants to be spun, he said. Ooh, you think I should? Ooh. That's very helpful. Ooh, the librarian ducked. Rincewind spun. He couldn't see the wood now because the string was getting longer with each turn. A blur curved through the air some way from the tower, getting further away with each spin. The sound of it was a long, drawn-out drone. When it was well out over the city, it exploded in a thunderclap. But something still whirled on the end of the line, like a tight silver cloud, throwing out a trail of white particles that made a spiral that sped out wider and wider. The librarian was flat on his face with his hands over his head. Air roared up the side of the tower, carrying dust, wind, heat and budgerigars. Rincewind's robe flapped around his chin. Letting go was unthinkable. He wasn't even sure if he could, until it wanted him to. Thin as smoke now, the spiral drifted out into the heat haze. 
and out over the red desert and the unheeding kangaroos, and as the tail of it flew out over the coast and into the wall of storms, the warring airs melted peacefully together. The clouds stopped their stately spin around the last continent, boiled up in confusion and thunderheads, reversed their direction, and began to fall inwards. And the string whipped out of Rincewind's hand, stinging his fingers. The bull-roarer flew away, and he didn't see it fall. This may have been because he was still pirouetting, but at last gravity overcame momentum and he fell full length on the boards. I think my feet have caught fire, he muttered. The dead heat hung on the land like a shroud. Clancy, the stockman, wiped the sweat off his brow very thoroughly and wrung out the rag into an empty jam tin. The way things were going, he'd be glad of it. Then, carrying the tin with care, he climbed back down the windmill's ladder. The war's fine, boss. There's just no bloody water, he said. Remorse shook his head. Look at them horses, he said. Look at the way they're lying down, will you? That's not good. This is it, Clancy. We've battled through thick and thin, and this is too thick altogether by half. We may as well cut their poor bloody throats for the meat that's on them. A gust of wind took his hat off for him and blew a lash of scent across the wilted mulga bushes. A horse raised his head. Clouds were pouring across the sky, rolling and boiling across each other like waves on a beach, so black that in the middle they were blue, lit by occasional flashes. "'What the hell's that?' said Clancy. The horse stood up awkwardly and stumbled to the rusted trough under the windmill. Under the clouds, dragging across the land, the air shimmered silver. Something hit Remorse's head. He looked down. Something went plut in the red dust by his boot, leaving a little crater. That is water, Clancy, he said. It's bloody water dropping out of the bloody sky. They stared at one another with their mouths open, as around them the storm hit and the animals stirred and the red dust turned into mud which spattered them up to their waists. This was no ordinary rainstorm. This was the wet. As Clancy said later, the second best bloody thing that happened that day was that they were near high ground. The best bloody thing was that with all the corks on their hats, they were able to find the bloody things later on. There'd been a debate about having this year's regatta in Did You Bring a Beer Along, given the drought. But it was a tradition. A lot of people came into town for it. Besides, the organisers had discussed it long and hard all the previous evening in the bar of the Pastoral Hotel and had concluded that, no worries, she'll be right. There were classes for boats pulled by camels, boats optimistically propelled by sails, and a high spot of the event, skiffs propelled by the simple expedient of the crew cutting the bottoms out, gripping the sides and running like hell. It always got a good laugh. It was while two teams were trotting up river in the semi-final that the spectators noticed the black cloud pouring over Semaphore Hill like boiling jam. Bushfire, said someone. Bushfire'd be white. Come on. That was the thing about fire. If you saw one, everyone went to put it out. Fire spread like wildfire. But as they turned away, there was a scream from the riverbed. The teams rounded the bend neck and neck, carrying their boats at record-breaking speed. They reached the slipway, collided in their efforts to get up, made it to the top, locked together, and collapsed in splinters and screams. Stop the regatta, panted one of the coxes. The, the, the river, the river. But by then everyone could see it. Around the bend, travelling slowly because it was pushing in front of it a huge logjam of bushes, carts, rocks and trees, was the flood. 
It thundered past and the mobile dam slid on, scything the river bottom free of all obstruction. Behind it, foaming water filled the river from bank to bank. They cancelled the regatta. A river full of water made a mockery of the whole idea. The university's gates had burst open, and now the angry mob was in the grounds and hammering on the walls. Above the din, the wizards searched feverishly through the books. Well, have you got something like Maxwell's impressive separator? said Ridcully. What's that do? said Arch-Chancellor Rincewind. Unmixes two things, like, like sugar and, and, and sand, for example. Uses Nanny's demons. Nano-demons, possibly, murmured Ponder wearily. Oh, like Bonza Charlie's Butte Sieve. Yeah, we got that. Ah, uh, parallel evolution. Fine. Dig it out, man. Arch-Chancellor Rincewind nodded at one of the wizards and then broke into a grin. Are you thinking about it working on salt, he said. Exactly. One spell, one bucket of seawater, no more problem. Uh, that's not exactly true, said Ponder Stibbons. Sounds perfect to me, man. It takes a great deal of magic, sir, and the demons take about a fortnight per pint, sir. Ah, a significant point, Mr. Stibbons. Yes, sir. However, just because it, it wouldn't work does not mean it was a bad idea. I wish they'd stop that shouting. The shouting outside stopped. Perhaps they heard you, sir, said Ponder. Pang, pang, pang. Are they throwing stuff onto the roof? said Arch-Chancellor Rincewind. No, that's probably just rain, said Ridcully. Now, I suppose you've tried evaporating... He realised that no one was listening. Everyone was looking up. Now the individual thuds had merged into a steady hammering, and from outside came the sound of wild cheering. The wizards struggled in the doorway and finally fought their way outside, where water was pouring off the roof in a solid sheet and cutting a channel in the lawn. Arch-Chancellor Rincewind stopped abruptly and reached out to the water like a man not sure if the stove is hot. Out of the sky, he said. He pushed his way out through the liquid curtain. Then he took off his hat and held it upside down to catch the rain. The crowd had filled the university grounds and spilled out into the surrounding streets. Every face was turned upwards. And those dark things, Arch-Chancellor Rincewind called out, they are the clouds, Arch-Chancellor. There's a hell of a lot of them. There were. They piled up over the tower in an enormous spreading black thunderhead. A couple of people looked down long enough to see the group of soaked wizards, and there were some cheers, and suddenly they were the new centre of attention, and being picked up and carried shoulder high. They think we did it, shouted Arch-Chancellor Rincewind as he was borne aloft. Who's to say we didn't, shouted Ridcully, tapping the side of his nose conspiratorially. Eh, uh, someone began. Ridcully didn't even look round. Shut up, Mr. Stibbons, he said. Shutting up, sir. Can you hear that thunder, said Ridcully as a rumble rolled across the city. We'd better take cover. The clouds above the tower were rising like water against a dam. Ponder said afterwards the fact that the BU tower was very short and extremely tall at the same time might have been the problem, since the storm was trying to go around it, over it and through it, all at the same time. From the ground, the clouds seemed to open up slowly, leaving a glowing, spreading chimney filled with the blue haze of electrical discharges, and pounced. One solid blue bolt hit the tower at every height all at once, which is technically impossible. Pieces of wood and corrugated iron roared into the air and rained down across the city. Then there was just a sizzling and the rushing of rain. 
The crowd stood up again cautiously, but the fireworks were over. "'That's what we call lightning,' said Red Cully. Arch-Chancellor Rincewind got up and tried to brush mud off his robe, then found out why you cannot do this. "'It's not usually as, as, as big as that, though,' Red Cully went on. "'Oh, good!' There was a clank from the steaming debris where the tower had stood, and a sheet of metal was pushed aside. Slowly, with much mutual aid and many false starts, two blackened figures emerged. One of them was still wearing a hat, which was on fire, although the rain was putting out the flames. Leaning against one another, weaving from side to side, they approached the wizards. One of them said, Ook, very quietly, and fell backwards. The other one looked blearily at the two arch-chancellors and saluted. This caused a spark to leap from its fingers and burn its ear. Er, uh, Rimswind, it said. And what have you been up to while we've been doing all this hard work, pray? said Ridcully. Rincewind looked around very slowly. Occasional little blue streaks crackled in his beard. Well, that all seemed to go pretty well, really, all things considered, he said, and fell full length into a puddle. It rained, and after that it rained. Then it rained some more. The clouds were stacked like impatient charter flights over the coast, low on fuel, jockeying for position, and raining. Above all, raining. Flood water roared down the rocks and scoured out the ancient muddy water holes. A species of tiny shrimps, whose world for thousands of years had been one small hole under a stone, were picked up and carried wholesale into a lake that was spreading faster than a man could run. There had been fewer than a thousand of them. There were a lot more next day. Even if the shrimps had been able to count how many, they were far too busy to bother. In the new estuaries, rich in sudden silt and unexpected food, a few fish began the experiment of a salt-free diet. The mangroves started their stop-motion conquests of the new mud banks. It went on raining, then it rained some more. After that, it rained. It was some days later. The ship rose and fell gently by the dock. The water around it was red with suspended silt, in which a few leaves and twigs floated. A week or two to no thing, Fjord, and we're practically home, said Ridcully. Practically on the same continent, anyway, said the dean. Quite an interesting long vacation, really, said the lecturer in recent runes. Probably the longest ever, said Ponder. Did Mrs Whitlow like her stateroom? I, for one, will quite enjoy bunking down in the hold said the senior wrangler loyally. The bilges, actually, said Ponder, the hold's full of opals, beer, sheep, wool and bananas. Where's the librarian, said Ridcully. In the hold, sir. Yes, I suppose it was silly of me to ask. Still, nice to see him his old self again. I think it may have been the lightning, sir. He's certainly very lively now and Rincewind sat on the luggage down on the dock. Somehow he felt something should be happening. The worst time in your life was when nothing much was going on, because that meant that something bad was about to hit you, for some strange reason. He could be back in the university library in a month or so, and then, whew, for a life of stacking books. One dull day after another with occasional periods of boredom. He could hardly wait. Every minute not being a minute wasted was... Well, a minute wasted. Excitement? That could happen to other people. 
He'd watched the merchants loading the ship. It was pretty low in the water, because there would be so many Exian things the rest of the world wanted. Of course, it had come back light, because it was hard to think of any bloody thing it could bloody import that was better than any bloody thing in XXXX. There were even a few more passengers willing to see the world, and most of them were young. Hey, aren't you one of the foreign wizards? The speaker was a young man carrying a very large knapsack topped by a bedroll. He seemed to be the impromptu leader of a small group of similarly overloaded people with wide open faces and slightly worried expressions. You can tell, can't you? said Rincewind. Um, you wanted something? Do you think we can buy a cart in this place? No thing fjord? Yes, I should think so. Only me and Clive and Sherl and Gurleen were thinking of picking up one and driving to... He looked around. Ark Morpork, said Sherl. Right, and then selling it and getting a job for a while, having a look round, you know, for a while. That'd be right. Rincewind glanced at the others trooping up the gangplank. Since the invention of the dung beetle, which had in fact happened not too far away, it was probable that no creature had ever carried so much weight. Mm, I can see it catching on, he said. No worries, but, um... Yes, mate? Do you mind not humming that tune? It was only a sheep, and I didn't even steal it. Someone tapped him on the shoulder. It was Neelette. Letitia and Darlene were standing behind her, grinning. It was ten in the morning. They were wearing sequined evening gowns. Badjap, she said, and settled down beside him. We just thought, well... We've come to say, you know, thanks and everything. Letitia and Darlene are coming in with me, and we're going to open up the brewery again. Rincewind glanced up at the ladies. I've had enough beer thrown at me. I ought to know something about it, said Letitia, although I do think we could make it a more attractive colour. It's so... She waved a large, beringed hand irritably. Aggressively masculine. Pink would be nice, said Rincewind, and you could put in a pickled onion on a stick, perhaps. "'Bloody good suggestion,' said Darlene, slapping him so hard on the back that his hat fell over his eyes. "'You wouldn't like to stay,' said Neelet. "'You look like someone with ideas.' Rincewind considered this attractive proposition, and then shook his head. "'It's a nice offer, but I think I ought to stick to what I do best,' he said. "'But everyone says you're no good at magic,' said Neelet. "'Er, uh, yes. Well, being no good at magic... Is what I do best, said Rincewind. Thanks all the same. At least let me give you a big, wet, sloppy kiss, said Darlene, grabbing his shoulders. Out of the corner of his eye, Rincewind saw Neelette's foot stamp down. All right, all right, said Darlene, letting go and hopping away. It wasn't as if I was going to bite him, miss. Neelette gave Rincewind a peck on the cheek. Well, drop in whenever you're passing, she said. Certainly will, said Rincewind. I'll look for the pubs with the mauve umbrellas outside, shall I? Neelette gave him a wave and Darlene made an amusing gesture as they walked away, almost bumping into a group of men in white. One of them shouted, Hey, there he is. Sorry, ladies. Oh, hello, Charlie. Ron, said Rincewind as the chefs bore down on him. Heard you wazzers was leaving, said Ron. Wouldn't be fair to let you go without shaking you by the hand, Charlie said. The peach Nelly went down a treat, said Charlie, beaming proudly. Glad to hear it, said Rincewind. Good to see you looking so cheerful. It gets better, said Ron. There's a new soprano just been taken on, and she's a winner if I'm any judge. No, Charlie, you tell him her name. 
Germain trifle, said Charlie. A wider grin would have resulted in the top of his head slipping off. I'm very happy for you, said Rincewind. Start whipping that cream right now, you hear? Ron patted him on the shoulder. We could always do with another hand in the kitchens, he said. Just say the word, mate. Well, it's very kind of you, and when I pull another tissue out of a box, I'll always remember you blokes at the opera house, but there he is. The jailer and the captain of the guard were jogging along the quay. The jailer was waving encouragingly at him. Nah, nah, it's all right. You don't have to run, he shouted. We got a pardon for you. Pardon? said Rincewind. That's right. The jailer reached him and fought for breath. Signed by the Prime Minister, he managed. Says you're a, a good bloke and we're not to hang you. He straightened up. Mind you, we wouldn't do that anyway, not now. Best bloody escape we've ever bloody had since Tin Ed Ned. Rincewind looked down at the writing on the official lined prison notepaper. Oh, good, he said weakly. At least someone thinks I didn't steal the damn thing. Oh, everyone knows you stole it, said the jailer happily. But after that escape, well, and the chase, eh? Bluey here says he's never seen anyone run like you, and that's a fact. The guard punched Rincewind playfully on the arm. Good on you, mate, he said, grinning. But we'll catch you next time. Rincewind looked blankly at the pardon. You mean I'm getting this for being a good sport? No worries, said the jailer. And there's a queue of farmers saying if you want to steal one of their sheep next time, that'd be Bonza, just so long as they get a verse in the ballad. Rincewind gave up. What can I say, he said. You keep one of the best condemned cells I've ever stayed in, and I've been in a few. He looked at the glow of admiration in their faces and decided that since fortune had been kind, it was time to give something back. Um, I'd take it kindly, though, if you'd never, ever redecorate that cell. Nah, worries. Here, I thought we ought to give you this, said the jailer, handing him a little gift-wrapped package. Got no use for it now, eh? Rincewind unwrapped the hempen rope. I'm lost for words, he said. How thoughtful. I'm bound to find lots of uses for it. And what's this? Sandwiches? You know that sticky brown stuff you made? Well, all the lads tried it, and they all went, yuck, and then they all wanted some more. So we tried cooking up a batch, said the jailer. I was thinking of going into business. You don't mind, do you? No worries. Be my guest. Good on ya. Someone else wandered up as he watched them hurry away. I heard you were going back, said Bill Rincewind. Want to stay on here? I had a word with your dean. He gave you a bloody good reference. Did he? What did he say? He said, if I could get you to do any work for me, I'd be lucky, said Bill. Rincewind looked around at the city glistening under the rain. It's a nice offer, he said, but... Oh, I don't know. All this sun, sea, surf and sand wouldn't be good for me, thanks all the same. You sure? Yes. Bill Rincewind held out his hand. No worries, he said. I'll send you a card at Hogswatch and some bit of clothing that doesn't fit properly. I'd better get back to the university now. I've got all the staff up on the roof mending the leaks. And that was it. Rincewind sat for a while watching the last of the passengers get aboard and took a final look around the rain-soaked harbour. Then he stood up. Come on, then, he said. The luggage followed him up the gangplank, 
and they went home. It rained. The flood gurgled along ancient creek beds and overflowed, spreading out into a lacework of gullies and rivulets. Further rain ensued. Near the centre of the last continent, where waterfalls streamed down the flanks of a great red rock that steamed with the heat of a ten-thousand-year summer, a small, naked boy sat in the branches of a tree, along with three bears, several possums, innumerable parrots, and a camel. Apart from the rock, the world was a sea. And someone was wading through it. He was an old man carrying a leather bag on his back. He stopped waist-deep in swirling water and looked up at the sky. Something was coming. The clouds were twisting, spinning, leaving a silvery hole all the way up to the blue sky, and there was a sound that you might get if you took a roll of thunder and stretched it out thin. A dot appeared, growing bigger. The man raised a skinny arm, and suddenly it was holding an oval of wood that trailed a cord, which hit his hand with a slap. The rain stopped. The last few drops hammered out a little rhythm that said, Now we know where you are, we'll be coming back. The boy laughed. The old man looked up, caught sight of him, and grinned. He tucked the bull roarer into the string around his waist and took up a boomerang painted in more colours than the boy had ever seen in one place together. The man tossed it up and caught it a couple of times and then, glancing sideways to make sure his audience was watching him, he hurled it. It rose into the sky and went on climbing, long past the point where any normal thing should have started to fall back. It grew bigger, too. The clouds parted to let it through, and then it stopped, as if suddenly nailed to the sky. Like sheep, which having been driven to a pasture can now spread out at their leisure, the clouds began to drift. Afternoon sunlight sliced through into the still waters. The boomerang hung in the sky, and the boy thought he would have to find a new word for the way the colours glowed. In the meantime, he looked down at the water and tried out the word he'd been taught by his grandfather, who'd been taught it by his grandfather, and which had been kept for thousands of years for when it would be needed. It meant the smell after rain. It had, he thought, been well worth waiting for. That is the end of The Last Continent. It was written by Terry Pratchett and read by Nigel Planer.